present I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, the antidote to panel games. At the piano is Colin Sell and your chairman is Humphrey Littleton. Hello and welcome to I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. You join us this week at the Civic Theatre in Darlington, the fine town which proudly claims to be the unofficial capital of Southern County Durham. <laughs> One of the most admired features of Darlington is St Cuthbert's Church. According to legend, the holy relics of St Cuthbert were brought to the town by monks at the time of the Viking raids and concealed on the site of the current church. Some years later, the townsfolk returned St Cuthbert's relics to Lindisfarne, who were so delighted they treated the town to an impromptu performance of Fog on the Tyne. <laughs> the church of St Cuthbert was actually built in the 12th century by Bishop Pudsey, who preached in his purple robe and wearing a spotted handkerchief knotted over one eye. In the early 19th century, Darlington's thriving cattle market was at the centre of an agricultural revolution. Two local farmers, Robert and Charles Colling, experimented with the breeding of shorthorn cattle, which resulted in the famous Durham ox, one prime specimen known as the Comet, which weighed in at 189 stone, won many prizes at the Durham Show in 1810. Her Royal Highness Princess Louise honoured the brothers when she personally inspected and tied rosettes on their gigantic ox. <laughs> The story of Darlington's history is neatly encompassed in its coat of arms. The cross of St Cuthbert represents the town's resistance to Viking raids, a bull's head signifies the local breeding of fine cattle, and white chevrons with black lines indicate no overtaking on an urban freeway. <laughs> Darlington's history since 1825 is of course synonymous with the railway when the scheme to run a line from Darlington to Stockton was hatched by a local businessman, Edward Pease. He had settled here to found the local Quaker movement, a new religion designed to promote his range of porridge oats. <laughs> Pease commissioned the engineer George Stevenson, and soon the world's first passenger railway was opened. Stevenson's engine was a wonder of single compression cylinder technology called the locomotion, which, although requiring a whole new range of skills, was remarkably simple to operate, as illustrated by this extract taken from the original instruction handbook. My little baby sister can do it with ease. It's easier than learning your ABCs. So come on, come on, do the locomotion with me. Within weeks, 600 passengers were catching the train to Stockton every day until after two months the town was completely deserted. <laughs> A trend which I can sense might be revived when I say, let's meet the teams. <laughs> they are on my left, Barry Clown and Graham Garden. And on my right, Tim Brooke Taylor and Tony Hawks. And preparing yourself for some hot scoring action on the desk next to me, please welcome the delightful Samantha.
Okay, let's kick off with an old favourite called Historical Headlines. An old favourite may be, but it never quite seems to match the popularity of the round called Stuff is Let's Just Go Home. <laughs> Teams, I'd like you please to imagine how modern-day newspapers or other periodicals might have reported certain historical events. And the event is the 100 Years' War. Graham, will you start us off, please? The Independent. Weapons inspectors ask for more time. <laughs> Daily Express, EU gets off to shaky start. <laughs> the Independent, John Simpson liberates Cressy. <laughs> Express, PM says we'll get British beef exports into France if it takes a hundred years. <laughs> Daily Mail, Joan of Arc burnt at stake, no English hurt. Joan says, I'm a celibate, get me out of here. <laughs> the stage, war latest, Humphrey Littleton's band to play at half-time. <laughs> and The Guardian, corrections and clarifications. <laughs> Yesterday's headline, troops get massage from Henry V. <laughs> Should have read, Troops Get Message from Henry V. <laughs> Daily Telegraph, Joan Dead, England Retain Ashes. <laughs> OK, well, let's try another one. This time it's the Great Pyramid of Cheops is built in Giza in Egypt. You can start this one, Tony. Financial Times, shares in Toblerone take a boost. <laughs> The mirror, the mirror, huge cube at Giza, half-built. <laughs> the antique dealer, second-hand pyramids are cheap as Cheops, says David. <laughs> Son, Giza, Giza, Finks, Sphinx, smiles, miles better. Mirror. I'm going to be a mummy, says Pharaoh. <laughs> okay, well, we have a musical round now in the guise of a game called One Song to the Tune of Another. Now, teams, even to the uninitiated amateur, one song to the tune of another will instantly be recognised as an obvious construct, and only complete idiots of the first order of total incompetence would fail to grasp the basics. So let me just run through it again for you. <laughs> the song is comprised of two elementary components, the tune and the words. You might imagine the tune to be akin to a shelf of the type commonly found on domestic walls. This is supported by the brackets, or in this case, the words. Some shelf units might store household items such as toilet rolls and fire lighters. These are like songs we don't hear very often. Others are like popular songs we like to enjoy frequently and might display souvenirs such as novelty teaspoons or coronation mugs are another possibility. Although I often wonder who that happy smiling woman is pictured on the 1953 Queen Elizabeth II edition. But I can sense the teams are getting bogged down on the detail of shelf usage. 
That's not important. For if the shelves are to be supported by brackets, they need firm wall fixings in the form of good strong screws set in roll plugs. And it's not just shelves that need securing. Kitchen units, vanity mirrors, and even the essential dado rails are all the same. But I hear you thinking, where can one find a specialist who can be relied upon unfailingly to screw everything up for us? At the piano, we have Colin Sarah. Okay, we'll start with you, Barry. Would you please sing the words of Barry Manilow's song, Copacabana, to the tune of the Sky Boat song? <laughs> Her name was Lola. She was a shoegirl. With yellow feathers in her hair And a dress cut down to there She would meringue and do the cha-cha But while she tried to be a star Tony always tended bar across the crowded floor He worked from eight till four They were young and they had each other Who could ask for more? Tim, now, would you please sing the words of Firestarter by the Prodigy to... Th to the tune of I Could Have Danced All Night. I'm the trouble starter, punking instigator. I'm the fear addicted danger illustrator. I'm a fire starter, twisted fire starter. You're the fire starter, twisted fire starter. I'm the bitch you hated, filth infatuated. Yeah, I'm the pain you tasted, well intoxicated. I'm the fire starter, twisted fire starter. You're the fire starter, twisted fire starter. I'm the self. Come on, cut piano. You now, Graham, would you please sing the words of Roberta Flack's lovely The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face to the Dan Busters March. The first time ever I saw your face I thought the sun rose in your eyes And the moon and stars were the gifts you gave to the dark and the empty skies I loved to the dark and the empty skies The first time ever I kissed your mug Finally Tony, would you please sing the words of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds to the tune of A Policeman's Lot is Not a Happy Way?
Picture yourself in a boat on a river. On a river. With tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Marmalade skies. Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. Quite, quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope <laughs> eyes. A scope eyes. Cellophane flowers of yellow and green. Yellow and green. Towering over your head. Look for the girl with the sun in her eyes. In her eyes. And she's gone Lucy in the sky with diamonds. With diamonds. Oh, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. With diamonds. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. With diamonds. Our thoughts go with you. <laughs> we move on swiftly to a brand new round called Soap and Flannel, which is all about soap operas and product placement. Soap operas were, of course, originally designed to sell soap powder, hence their name, operas. <laughs> the advent of commercial television brought us ad mag programs, where a genuine drama was created around any number of branded products, a practice we wouldn't normally encourage here on the Rolls-Royce of wireless shows. <laughs> I know I'm not alone in finding a lot of modern advertising misleading. Only the other day I spotted an ad for Millets, which said they had really good camouflage jackets. So I went straight down there and couldn't find them. <laughs> so, teams, I'd like to take you back... Teams, I'd like to take you back now to the early days of commercial broadcasting, with each of you extemporizing a typical scene from a soap opera, but all the while trying to include as many hidden product placements as possible. The opposing team will score points for each brand name they can spot. Okay, Tim and Tony, you can start, and I'd like you to provide us with the commercial version of Neighbours. Off you go. Morning, Jack. Morning, Sheila. I mean, Bud, sorry, mate. <laughs> so... Two eggs as usual, Jack. No, but I'm twice as hungry today, mate. Right, get him four eggs, Bex. <laughs> Bud, why is there no salt? Oh. Oh, no worries, we've got sacks of salt. <laughs> I guess Jill is behind you. Will she be eating too? Nah, she's already eaten, mate. I went to the supermarket and got the finest ingredients that a male could possibly purchase. So... Jill at The best a man can get, yeah. <laughs> hey, fancy a serve if the tide is right? Oh, you'd have to be bold if the waves are as big as last, huh? But then, of course, I forget you're a right fairy. <laughs> For an Aussie. Wait a minute, mate. We could, we could go to the beach with Mr. Technic's son. <laughs> Dirk? Oh. Is he out of prison? Yeah, apparently a group of accomplices helped him escape. How many? Five. So, five, five sprung, sprung Dirk Technic. <laughs> you know, mate, yep. it would have been so much better if it had been four. It would, wouldn't it? <laughs> four sprung, yep. Sure would. Hey, Barry and Graham, just for the sake of interest, and because it says here I've got to, <laughs> let me ask you how many you we spotted. Ten. We'll settle for ten. We okay. Are. Listeners at home might wonder how I know that they're not cheating. The answer is I don't. 
Your turn now, Barry and Graham. I'd like you to provide us, please, with a commercial version of The Archers. Oh. Oh, hello, Joe. Have you had an accident at work? No, I always walk this way. <laughs> well, Joe, where can I get you? Well, I'll, uh, I'll have a pint of old Hewlett Packard desk jet. Right. <laughs> Pickled onion? Oh, no, not for me. I like one of them Halifax pensions, if you've any left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I got some around the back. I'll uh, bring them through to you in the Doris Archer room. Ah, yes, Mars Bar. That's right. <laughs> oh, hello, Ruth. <laughs> sit down and take the weight off your accent. <laughs> Do you fancy an orange? Oh, no! <laughs> I've got to make some curtains. Do you sell net? <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, now, we've just been having a dispute about last night's pub quiz. Do you happen to know who built the Ark? Oh, no! <laughs> No, I didn't think you'd know. Uh, and uh, well, while we're on the topic, who was Fred Astaire's brother? Oh, I know that one. <laughs> Called Stan. Lazy devil. <laughs> Is that right, Ruth? <laughs> There's people in this pub ahead of me, you know. <laughs> You've never it's not seen... usually the case. <laughs> Oh, hello, Brian. Uh, you'd never, you'd never, you'd never see Stan Astaire lift a finger to help. No. Well, that's that's better out than in. Oh, Ruth, while you're uh, still here, <coughs> could you give us a hand in the kitchen? The controls have fallen off the agar, and there's hobnobs all over the floor. Right, oh. Do excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm awfully sorry. This, this sweat has given me a rush. Ah, uh, you've got the wool itch. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying so, you've had that a long time. No, I can't believe it's not better. <laughs> I've got vowel disorder as well. <laughs> well, that's the wonder of woolies. All together now. Tums and tums and tums and tums and some out yourself. I heard Graham distinctly say that there's a new DVD out called The Goodies at Last with eight tracks. Yes, eight. I heard him say that. We're now going to try an old favourite of mine called Hunt the Ring. This is a game we played as children when a senior member of the family would remove a ring from his or her finger. We were never that sure about Great Uncle Alice. <laughs> the ring was then threaded onto a piece of string which was tied to form a loop. As the excitement and tension mounted even further, the string, complete with the ring attached, remember, would be handed to us. We would then secretly pass the ring between us while the senior relative counted silently to 100 with eyes closed. 
The object was then to guess which player was concealing the ring with their hand, or if there was only one player, then which hand. <laughs> Although, in all honesty, that was never much of a challenge with Cousin Nelson. <laughs> okay, teams, I brought along my own ring, which Samantha will attach to this piece of string before passing it amongst you. I'll close my eyes and start counting. As soon as I reach 100 teams, I shall open my eyes and attempt to spot who is concealing my ring. Okay? A hundred. Right now, uh, Barry, it's you, isn't it? Not I, Humph. Not on my person, no. Tim? I wish I could say yes, but it's no, Humph. Tony? No, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I don't have it either. Graham, then, have you got my ring? Yes, Humph. <clears throat> Here it is. <laughs> Excellent. Samantha, go and fetch that for me, please, would you? OK, the next game is called Join the Dots. Each player is provided with a sheet of paper on which are printed a series of numbered dots. These have to be joined together in the correct order to complete a lifelike image of, say, the Mona Lisa. I say lifelike, but obviously the original doesn't have a series of numbers printed on it. Leonardo da Vinci was a terrific artist. He'd have painted over them. In our new revised version, however, I'll provide the teams with a short list of events, places or things, starting and finishing with two famous Dorothys. The task is to join the dots, <laughs> thereby, ex thereby explaining the connection between each item in the list. Okay, now, Tim and Tony, will you please attempt to join these famous dots? Dorothy Lamour, Otis Redding, British Lamb, Dorothy Wordsworth. Right. Well, I think um, Lamour, Dorothy Lamour, Lamour means love, and lovemaking, normally done in bed or bedding. Really? Which is well known for now being the Cockney rhyming slang for Otis Redding is is <laughs> not that well known. Cockney rhyming slang for bedding. Right, Redding. Um, and then of course we've got to get to British Lamb from. Well, uh, the place Redding. Yeah. There well, used to be lots of fields there. Didn't there? That's true. And, yeah. Until they built until Redding. Until they built Redding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And what would they have in the fields? Well, I should think probably sheep and lamb. Yeah. British lamb. British lamb, yeah. because yep. it's near Reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Dorothy Dorothy did a lot of reading. Which is spelt exactly she like Reading, isn't red. it? Right, yeah. And she used to read Lamb's Tales of Shakespeare. So it's almost too clever, really, isn't it? Yeah. So that's what we think, Humph. But we okay. have another theory in case it's wrong. <laughs> In which case, it's right. <laughs> no. Touched. Barry and Graham, what do you think? You have a go yourselves. We were going along, mm. well, not really the same route. Uh, it's not generally known that uh, Dorothy Lamour's voice broke. Yes. And she started a whole second career uh, as Otis Redding. <laughs> An Otis. Well, the first lift in the UK was a, an Otis lift. Yes. In Reading. Yep. At the headquarters of the uh, Lamb Marketing Board. In Reading. And, and that's, that's where we joined forces with you, I think, yeah. probably, because we went British to... British Lamb. Charles Lamb, 
Yes. And uh, Dorothy Wordsworth. Yes. Well, actually, the correct link is that Dorothy Lemoore was once an elevator attendant, and Otis, as Graham said, is a make of elevator, and also the first name of Otis Reddy, who had a big hit with Try a Little Tenderness, the theme song for an advert for British Lamb, Lamb being the surname of author Charles Lamb, a good friend of Samuel Taylor Coleridge and William and Dorothy Wordsworth, and now I'm going to hurry on. <laughs> Well, it's very nearly the end of the show, but there's just time for a round of women-only film club. <laughs> Samantha tells me she has to nip out now as she has a cookery lesson with her new chef gentleman friend, who's been teaching her cake decoration. He has all sorts of professional kitchen equipment, and as Samantha is having trouble keeping enough pressure on her icing dispenser for complete coverage, he's promised to show her how to squeeze his hard-on... He's promised, he's promised to show her how to squeeze his hard on to the top of the cake. <laughs> so while she's away preparing for that, I'll invite the teams to suggest film titles likely to appeal to an audience of ladies only. Graham, will you start, please? Twelve perfectly reasonable women. <laughs> East of Eden? No, West of Eden? No, East of Eden? The map <laughs> Those magnificent men and their washing machines? Diet hard? Born on the 4th of July, but not saying which year. Spend it like Beckham? Skirt of the Antarctic. <laughs> Born on the 4th of July, but you never remember that, do you? PMT and sympathy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Willy Free. <laughs> Gone with the window cleaner. Bring me the handbag of Frida Garcia. Silly Conan the Barbarian. I spit on your gravy. <laughs> the Dainty Dozen. <laughs> the Good, the Bad and the Surgically Enhanced. Texas Chain Store Mascara. <laughs> and, and so, ladies and gentlemen, as the three-toed sloth of time dozes in the rainforest of eternity, and the three toads decide to make good their escape, <laughs> I notice it's the end of the show. So from the team, Sam after myself and the good folk of Darlington, it's goodbye. Graham Garden, Tim Brooke Taylor and Tony Fawkes have been given silly things to do by Humphrey Littleton, with Colin Sell setting some of them to music. The programme consultant was Ian Pattinson and the producer was John Naismith. <laughs>